Hello, welcome to Abnormal Mapping. Oh god, I don't even remember my intro anymore. <laughs> you were doing it. I, I didn't know I was about to was do wrong. my Let's Play intro. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Abnormal Mapping. This, this is Vania Mania. I was about to say dot .com, and that's not even how I do my Let's Play intro, but I was like in full-on Let's Play mode. That, I recorded Vania already today. That's how I do my Let's Play intros sometimes. Welcome to Vania Mania. I'm Heathermoremapping.com. Blah, 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 blah. Let's whip these skeletons into shape. All right, we're just going to keep this and let's keep going. Gross. Welcome to Abnormal Mapping. I'm your host, Matthew Marco, and with me is co-host Jackson Tyler. What? What are you laughing at? <laughs> you fucking dork. Why? 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 Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What is this? What, what did I doing? No, Did I actually say something dumb? No, just you carrying on as if, like... <laughs> just, all right, take two. Let's go. Let's go. Get I can up. put the intro music in there. We have a cold open and we can do this and you don't have to botch anything. I can just roll the punches. I, I can botch many things. Excuse Fluid, me. Fluid like water. That's what I am, Jackson. <laughs> Fluid like water, Matthew Marco. Yep. Yeah. Is that your autobiography? No, it's it's a reference to Cowboy Bebop. Actually, oh, I should I should watch that. Hot anime takes in 2015. I'm too busy. Cowboy Bebop's pretty good. I'm too busy watching all the Mad Men to watch that. You should go watch Evangelion. Go finish that at least. <sighs> Jesus, Evangelion is better than Mad Men at this stage. I mean, that's probably true throughout its run, so. People tell me Madman gets way better. The pilot was amazing, and the rest was kind of, has been floundering. Hey, Jackson, how you doing? Hi. Gr- this is episode, what episode is this? 26? 26. After our silver anniversary. One score and six episodes. This was supposed to be our Final Fantasy VIII cast. It's not that, is it? <laughs> no. No. Uh, I, well, so, my computer broke. Um, which means I'm not recording on my computer, which means I might be sound a bit strange because I've had to concoct a way to like be in bed with my laptop and have this microphone on the edge. Uh, you don't need to concoct a way to be in bed with your laptop. <laughs> you can just do it. No, I have no shame. No, I, I didn't mean I'm an excuse. I meant a uh, position. 69. <laughs> No, I was. Uh, I had a different joke, which is uh, that this episode is elegy for a bed world. Oh no, no, <laughs> no! This cast is over. <laughs> I'm sorry. Or shambles. <laughs> so we're not quite ready for the Final Eight cast. Um, so we're pushing that to next week, and we're going to do elegy for a dead world this week because uh, we can. There's no better reason than that, really. Uh, we we're ready to get. We're done playing it. We we're ready to talk about it. I guess. And, uh, one of those is more true than the other. Um, and we're going to kind of do a loosey goosey cast. What were you going to ask? Wait, which one's more true? I don't know. We were, we were both done playing that game. Yes. Well, the first half. But we, uh, 
probably not necessarily ready to talk about it. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to say about 8. No, Elegy for Dead World. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Checks out on every front. <laughs> this is going to be a great podcast. Well, I guess we could just go directly into segment two then. This is our intro. I hope you're happy. Your protracted <laughs> realization that what we're about to do is uh, good enough. Maybe I'll just close my eyes. <laughs> this is the sad cast. That's what this is. Apparently. I mean... You're in bed. You can close your eyes, take a nap. I'll hold down the fort. Okay. I'll well, just if... spit hot mess about video games for an hour, right? I can you just, like, hear me start to, like, breathe heavily on my sleep. Oh, fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a law that says when anyone leaves the proverbial podcast room, every other member of the podcast has to talk shit about them? No. Oh, okay. I wouldn't necessarily I thought it was, do that. I thought it was uh, writ into the like podcast commandments i mean no i don't i don't think so i don't think so i think that's like it has to be an organic joke that stems out of like the conversation or whatever true you true. can't just do it because it's what is done <laughs> can't you <laughs> i mean you, I, a person could i would not how about that this is a good point what, what is segment two well we're gonna go to it after our musical break So our game club this month is Elegy for Dead World by Digimon Games. Uh, I can't. What? Every time you say Digimon Games. Digimon, Digimon. I, I know Digimon Games, developers of... Not fine, Digimon fine... Games. No, that would be bad. Creators of games such as... Ah, and Drop That Beat Like a Hugly Baby. Or Drunken Robot Pornography, yes. They love their video game titles. Yep. Elegy for Dead Roll is a kickstarted game uh, meant to be a exploration game and also like a creative writing game. Um, the way the game works in brief is you are a spaceman who gets to choose three worlds to uh, land on and then you walk through them in like a slow side-scroller method as you see landscapes and ruined civilizations unfold behind you and around you and every once in a while you get a prompt in which you can either write in blanks in prompts that they give you or just take a blank prompt and fill in whatever and then at the end of the screens that you walk through you can spit out a bunch of images with your story or you can upload it to workshops so you can read other people's and share your own um and that that's kind of it. It's uh, very much a free-flowing game. This was an honorable mention for the Nuovo Award, so you know it's unconventional. That hot <laughs> Nuovo Award jam. As they say. Yep. I don't really care about the IGF outside of sometimes the Nuovo Award is full of interesting things. Yeah. So that's why I mention it, I guess. Cool. We spent too long on this one dumb joke about the Nova Awards. No, I'm I'm just talking about the Nova Award. Like I I was I wasn't actually being that jokey. Oh, okay. It came across as a bit, and I was like, "What's going on?" I'm There's confused. There's no bit here. There's no bit. It's all earnest all the time. So Jackson, tell me about your experience with Elegy for a Dead World. 
No, that's mean. That's cruel. That's not nice. Ah, I don't know. I wanted to love it so much. Because on the face of it, it's like, got this amazing atmosphere, just painted backgrounds for days as you walk across the surface of this planet. But the part where it's a thing that you write things in, just it doesn't didn't connect with me in any way at all ever and every time i did anything it either felt like a chore or felt like i was being limited by the prompts rather than actually having any kind of uh helpful structure to improve like it doesn't work as an educational or helpful writing tool but it does work as this atmospheric i walk across a thing landscape and the combination of those two things is like it, the least seamless thing. So I'm interested in games as a learning tool, especially yeah. when it comes to like something creative like this. So if you bear with me, we're going to take kind of a digression and come back to it. Uh, last fall on kind of a lark, I picked up Pokemon Art Academy for the 3DS which is just a game in which it gives you some rudimentary lessons about doodling Pokemon using perhaps the least uh, responsive stylus and touchscreen on demand, the Nintendo 3DS <laughs> and DS yep. hardware. Um, but it's it's like this rudimentary digital art tool that like, teaches you a bit about layers and different mediums, like what a pencil line versus a paint line will do, uh, opacities, stuff like that. Um, and then it kind of just lets you follow along with these guidelines to draw some Pokemon and it doesn't actually grade you or anything. It doesn't give you any feedback, but it, because of the structured approach to t explaining the tools and rolling them out and then like showing you examples of how you use it, I, I feel like it's actually really good at teaching you the beginnings of digital art to the point where like I went and then got really into drawing in a big way because of that game. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, our website is littered with dumb art that I've made because of that stupid game. That Grim Fandango poster that is the best thing spawned from Pokemon Art Academy. Yeah. And so, like, th that game is, like, regardless of whether or not you call it good or, like, a cohesive game experience is, like, really important piece of software to me. And I think... A something that can do that for writing would be really incredible. And there's the promise of it in Elegy for a Dead World, where you get these prompts, and some of them are like, here's a story set up that you can fill stuff in, but some of them are like, here's a grammar exercise, and you get to like, you get pre-written stuff, and you can go in and fix it. Or here's a famous poem that helped inspire us when we were making this landscape and this planet or whatever, and you can fill in the blanks in that poem. But at no point does it ever, like, explain what you're doing or give you anything to compare yourself against. There's yeah. no, like, when you do, like, a Byron poem, you don't get, you fill in the blanks, but you don't get the actual Byron poem to compare yourself against at the end. When you're doing grammar exercises, you can correct the grammar if you want, but it's not going to tell you what the correct grammar is or why. It doesn't teach you anything about what it means to write fiction at all or poetry. Like, it doesn't give you anything about verse. It doesn't give you anything about prose. It, it, it doesn't instruct you to do anything. And I can see, like, on one level why they'd want to do that because they want to make it this tool for expression and not give it this deliberate formalist structure and force people into this box. But 
because it's a bunch of prompts and essentially relies on that approach to writing anyway, rejecting the other half of it just makes it feel incomplete rather than freeing you. Well, yeah, because, like, if you just want to freeform fill in your experience with a game, you can play something like Even the Stars. But this game isn't sold on, like, a freeform game experience. It's sold as, like, a creative writing tool that happens to be in the framework of a game. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, I think you should... You can, and maybe even should, include the hooks about, like, bettering your writing. Like, if you don't, it's, I, I understand that they're never going to be able to give you feedback in, like, you made this prompt, and this prompt is, like, it's not going to say this is good or this is bad. It probably shouldn't even do that. But it should at least teach you, like, here's how this poem worked in the original, and maybe a bit about, like, why that's important and good. In the grammar exercises, it should at least give you, like, these words are not the words you use. This is how you use it's properly because that's stuff that any any writer can use a lesson in. If you're going to take a grammar lesson, they should at least give you a lesson out of it. Why call mm-hmm. it a lesson if it's just proofread this thing and if you're wrong, no one's going to know and no one's going to care. The game doesn't have the systems to give you feedback on that. Mm-hmm. Like some red lines underneath some words in that game would be incredibly welcoming because writing is not just about put whatever words you want on the screen and then that's good. Especially if you are doing this like formal exercise that's meant to inspire and like inspiration implies like an improvement in a current status quo. Like if you're going to be inspired, you want to get somewhere where you aren't already. So Mm -hmm. part of that can be mechanical improvements and it wouldn't take much to like include a meta layer about writing better. And even if it's just like the thinnest thing, it would be reinforcing of good habits and help feed into this game is more than just some pictures that you can fill in the blanks with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's a clear, uh, I feel like there's an intent here to, it, the game's saying something by how meaningless all the writing is because you walk through a landscape and mm-hmm. then, <clears throat> and then you drift into space and like the, the game like, I think we were talking off mic a bit about this, like, has this incredibly, I think, nihilistic view of things and the way it portrays its writing and its lessons is you just write things and that's all you do. There is no other reason to write but to write. The writing is its own thing. Uh, all the reasons to write are dead and in the past and your imagination is what brings them meaning. But by, like, going all in on this kind of... um I don't, I don't even know what the tone is, but it, it, it's, it's this, it is a weird nihilistic one. And it makes me, by making you, like, it tries to free you by saying the writing is its own thing and whatever, but it just makes me feel like nothing matters. And I could write whatever and no one would care. And what's the point of writing at all? Which is the exact opposite of what I'm actually looking for from a writing tool. Well, so. The problem is maybe in the inspiration. So they've explicitly stated that the worlds are inspired by the poet, like British romantic poets, uh, Shelley, Byron Keats, you can find on the Wikipedia page. But like, if you look at the poems they use as an example, like you get something like Ozymandias, which is a poem about like fallen empires. And you get, uh, the, one of the ones I did was The Darkness, which I think was a Byron poem, which is about yeah. like, the world, a world where the sun went out and like everything is dying and decaying. And it's fine to make 
like use these kind of ideas as a jumping off point. But the problem is if that's the entirety of your prompts, the only thing this game is actually good for is writing elegaic post-apocalyptic, like actual post-apocalyptic, like everything's already happened and gone, like existential rumination fiction. Yeah. And, and the title is clear. They're aware of that. Sure. But as a, as an inspiration tool, I think maybe there's an onus to breach a little further than that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And not just be like invested in this kind of inward facing writing for the sake of it. Like the problem is it doesn't actually end up surfacing this also as like an introspection tool. If this was like a journaling, if it f- focused a little more as like a journaling tool and using these prompts as like a reason for that that would make a little more sense to me but it's not even that it gives you this explicitly sci-fi like exploration uh underpinning to everything like almost all of the prompts are about you like hiding on this world or excavating this world or exploring this strange world and so it always brings it back to this idea of here's a thing that is something other that you can relate to and explain the history of however you want and that's interesting, like, the first time and maybe the second time, but it wears out its welcome really fast, and it, it just needs more to it than that. Yeah. Like, there, there shouldn't be three worlds where it's the same thing, like, just different flavors on, hey, there was a civilization here, and then it blew up, and now you're here looking at it. And uh one, like, I remember doing the uh, girl's diary mm-hmm. prompt on one of the worlds, and I was enjoying that, I was writing it, and then... Like, halfway through, it stops being uh, prompts about this girl's diary, and the world starts ending. And I was like, wait, I thought... I th- like, at the start, I had assumed deliberately that this wasn't taking it literally, and it was like, here is your prompts, but here is the world behind you, and this mood will seep into it, but it's its own story. Yeah. But they force everything down this very literal... Yo, this, this is... You are actually telling the story of what you see. Mm. That... If, feels incredibly limiting for a thing that's meant to be about, like, the vastness of inspiration. Yeah. And especially if you give it a framework where you can do anything you want in the... Like, it gives you prompts. But you could just delete all the text they give you and fill in whatever you want on any prompt. Yeah. Uh, you don't even have to go to the blank prompt. But if you're going to go to the effort to make all this art and all this preset text to fill in... Why create such a, like, narrow focused point of view that which all other writing has to be forced through? Like, that's not, that's not inspiration. That's just like this obsessive pining over a single theme. Like, someone who mm-hmm. looks at this as like, I want to jumpstart my writing and explore, like, new areas. All they're going to get out of this is their first brush with the game. And then they've seen, like, thematically everything it has to offer. Yeah, like, the first time you write something is gonna be both the best, but also, like, the most unsatisfying thing, because it's the most honest response you have to the game. I remember writing my first one, and I was like, um, I can't remember what I said, but my response was honest. I was like, oh, this is what I think this is, and this is how I respond to this. But you don't understand the framework of the game enough to know that you can just do whatever you want, so the game hasn't, like... um, If it was just blank... Like something like Even the Stars, the first time through, what I put was going to be the most honest and perfect thing I can get out of that, and then I can go, like, I'm never going to play Even the Stars again. I played it once, it was perfect. Yeah. But this 
this didn't have the same effect to me. I, I was really unsatisfied by my first one, and then I realised that's what the whole thing was. Yeah, and I was like, oh. But and it wouldn't take much to open up this. Like even if you just like we had the scope for three planets, that's fine. I I understand you make games and you have budget, but if one of them was the kind of game that exists here, if one of them was like this ridiculous Hohokam space, and like another one was just like cities or like a village that's actually lively or like you know something that's alive and flourishing you'd get so much different experience out of the way thing like the way players respond like even throwing mm-hmm. one-offs they're like here's some shapes and colors like write about what you feel like as you move through them you don't exactly. have to make all of this like incredibly high density beautifully rendered art to get an inspir- like an inspirational experience out of people, if you prime them to be open to experiences, you could just put up color bands and like a humming noise and you- people would write something out of it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't actually play with that idea that inspiration has to come or can come from anywhere. It's explicitly like, oh, you need this whole preset world and this authorial intent to be given to you to start to riff off of it. And I think that underpins their even stated goals of like exploration and inspiration through the writing and the taking in of uh, like something that's blank. Mm-hmm. I agree. I was I was really excited, and then after like the first twenty minutes, it <clears throat> all my enthusiasm just kind of drained away. And I played for a couple hours more, but just slowly realizing that that's all there was was this really sad and defeating thing. Mm. And almost as if that was the point. I don't think that's the point, though. No, I don't I don't, I don't think that's actually the point. But as you walk through these same landscapes and you see these same prompts and you just every single time, it's just, oh, everything's dead. You just feel more hollow each time. In And I know that's not what they actually want, but it's what the worlds they create. It's the effect they had on me. Sure. I yeah. was, by like prompt five or six, I was like, I think I've seen everything here. Mm-hmm. And you go into other ones and you're like looking for something new and it just doesn't have that for you. Nope. Which is a shame. Yeah, it is a shame because you do look at something like Elegy for a Dead World, or not, uh, even the stars, that's all I want to say. And that's a game that we would highly recommend anybody play. Yes. Um, and it gives you kind of this similar framework and even... I think a lot of the same, like, authorial intent on what you're supposed to be feeling. Mm-hmm. But because it is devoid of even, like, the barest hint of, like, a more formalistic structure, and because it doesn't bill itself as, like, an inspirational tool, it just ends up being, like, ship's log simulator if you want it to be. But it can also be, like, a weird poetry experience as well. Yeah. And I I wonder how much Elegy suffers by being like a commercial product that was kickstarted and then is on steam because a lot yeah because something like even the stars is you just get it on itch.io and you play it and it's 15 minutes and it doesn't have to have the promise of being something greater yeah i can see a version of elegy where it's one world no explanation there's just a bunch of pads you can write on if you wish Mm -hmm. and you walk from one to the other you get your thing and then it's done and then that's just it, and I can see, and I can see how that working a lot. But they, they, it's built out to this big thing with databases, and you can load up other people's work, and, and... that stuff's like theoretically great, but it doesn't actually 
like contribute that much. No, it just feels really separate. Where you're like, oh, I, attached to this thing, there's a website of things other people have written. Okay, sure. But it's not even like a website. It's just in the game itself. It's like you can upload oh, yeah, this. No, and you can read someone yeah. else's. Like if it just posted everything to like a Tumblr. That would be way more interesting to me. Oh yeah, no. If it was a Tumblr, it'd be way cool. That's like it feels like this is designed to create Tumblr posts, mm-hmm. but they don't. It's it's a it's just a it's a confusing thing, and I I have to assume it's due to the way it was made and like the budget of it and the what they could achieve. But I I'm hope there's more interesting formal writing tools in like the future. I'd love to see more people attempt the art academy style thing. Of here is a video game you can learn from, but knock it out of the park. Yeah, I uh, I like educational games in general. I mean, go back to our Mike Joffe episode if you want to talk about games that are fun but secretly educational. Rock uh, band, <laughs> rock band for sure. The amount of music I know explicitly because of music games is alarming. Mm-hmm. Rock Band's weird for me because the drums are the super educational part, but I was. I, I, way for me, worse it was rock- just like being exposed yeah. to music I don't listen to. Oh, that'll do it as well, yeah. I get that from games a lot as well. Like, I don't listen to rock music. I don't explicitly like rock music, but I know a lot of, like, classic rock because of Rock Band and Guitar Hero. Oh, so many people, like, think you're such a loser for that. This is great. This is the best news. No, because, like, however you. No, I, mean, I know, we, I know. We've, we've talked about this, but I think it bears discussion in, like, a formalistic sense. Like, one of the problems with, like, people who are into a culture of a media, and games have this, music has this, is, like, there becomes a canonical right way to approach things. And we're both increasingly against that. Like, because the fact that I play like i know all of this classic rock from rock band and like you were playing the original resident evil right now yeah and you're like this kind of uh, what was no, it you I were s- like this feels like devil may cry and it's like no this- no no you 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 told me devil may- what i said was oh this is just resident evil 4 cross with grim fandango oh right <laughs> um and that kind of backfill is like yeah. the quote-unquote wrong way to do it but however you come to something is, like, a valid experience. Yeah, like, I know that that's backwards, and both of those games are just, like, one is the evolution of the Resident Evil series, one is something that took directly from Resident Evil's idea of space or exploration, but the way I went to them, that's the th- the way it jumped out at me, and that's valid, that's fine. Everyone comes to different things in their own way, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I want to try to be... I don't want to ever be prescriptive about how someone should approach a canon, because no. that's that's bad yeah but i i i enjoy the fact that guitar and rock band to me were like this oh this is like a being given new music like someone made a mix for you to teach you what music is like i think that's the like those games are have value as that thing and they are also totally designed as that thing yeah like the people at harmonics had arguments like saying we need this song because people need to know this song this song is cool i would love to hit make people hear this one of course they did. They had that for weeks and months. Mm-hmm. And it shows. Yep. The only actual downside to this is songs that are, like, in the easy part of Guitar Hero and Rock Band, I don't like. Like, I don't like them as songs because I'm like, oh, this... this When it comes on the radio, I'm like, oh, this song's too easy. I don't like it. It's boring. <laughs> 
So your idea in relation to these songs, even as just things to listen to, is tied to how satisfying they are to play. Yeah, absolutely. It's a weird byproduct of that experience. So, so there must be like a bunch of songs that you would hate that you like because the patterns were great. Yeah. And so which uh, which ones would fall into that box? I mean, it's hard to tell from your perspective. But what are your top like five something like songs something like Symphony of, of Destruction? Or, like, Ace of Spades is not music I would ever choose to listen to, but I have a lot of fondness for it because they're mm-hmm. really amazing songs to play. What are the top five songs that, like, oh, rock band that get into your head? When I say rock band, you think of... Um, what is it? Fushimi versus the Pink Robots? Is that what it's called? I think so. Um, those two I previously mentioned. Uh, yep. Bark at the Moon. Uh, that whole Blizzard of Oz, like... Uh, album which I really like it was introduced to me through the various parts of it that were in Rock Band and Guitar yeah. Hero um, it, it taught me that I hate Tool even though I feel oh, like I'm a, I feel like I'm a person who you'd, you'd be like oh he'd probably like Tool I don't um, which is I, weird. I would not think that about you oh really no I think you would hate Tool they're kind of on the borderline of like industrial and I like industrial music Sure. Sure. I don't know. We're not going to get into talking about Tool, but that that checks out with what I know about you. Okay. That's fair. So yeah, I mean, that that is my general... Like, the version of Killer Queen that exists in my brain is like a cover version from Donkey Konga because of who I am. Oh, no, not Donkey Konga, the Taiko Drum Master PS2 game. That's what it is. I think that's the one that had Killer Queen. Oh, in it. man. Ah, oh, that, that game's cool. I played that game last year. Yep. It also has the Rock the Dragon, Dragon Ball Z song. So it's it's a pretty alright game. So it's game. the best game ever made, yep. you're saying. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you want to take a break? I do. I'd love to. Alright. I need to lie down. So, for the second half of this podcast, since we're doing it loosey-goosey and backwards today, we don't really have, uh, like, a formal segment two is what we call it, even though this is technically segment three. Jackson, the podcast is falling apart. We're a shambles now. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're totally keeping this in, because that is the perfect response to the podcast I'm totally shamble, And you still haven't sneezed, so this is no, just No, it's there inside me waiting to burst out, and it will at some point, but now I'm just going to have a stuffy nose for the next 45 minutes. That's... I hate everything! <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst fate. 
this is everything I hate about being alive. So you wanted to talk about something specific. You want to open up the floor? I was... Uh, so I was li- like... Um, I can't remember what inspired this. But Idle I Thumbs. I think it was listening to Idle Last Thumbs. Week. Yeah, I was listening to Idle Thumbs. And they were talking about lore as like a thing in a way that I appreciated because most people are like fuck law forever and I was trying to think about what specifically I think it was Sean is. who said this or Jake one of them because mm-hmm. Chris is kind of fuck law forever yeah Chris was fuck law forever and Sean and Jake were like I don't know it's, it can be good uh, listen to Idle Thumbs you sh- if you're listening to this and not listening to Idle Thumbs I don't actually know who you are but <laughs> it's true <laughs> Um, but the it made me think about what good lore is, especially in video game terms. And I came to the conclusion as like richness, uh, just having stuff in your universe that is cool doesn't like it doesn't take away from anything for me. Just how you present it is the problem. Like I thought about games like Hate Plus, which is a game where you dig through lore. That is essentially all you do in Hate Plus. Yeah, and it's one of the best games of the last decade. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I actually often find myself enjoying... So, my experience with Dragon Age and Mass Effect, mostly Dragon Age, but Mass Effect also, the original Dragon Age Origins, the original Dragon Age, uh, was a game in which every time I got a codex entry or opened a book, I would stop and read the entire thing. Because the lore to me was so fascinating. Even though like, I know that it's like almost D&D and almost Lord of the Rings just mixed up, you know, blended till not litigious um, Mm -hmm. and then put in a video game, but I'd never really played a big fantasy game that had that amount of lore in it, and I I kind of just enjoyed the stories around the edges of my quest, as much as I was invested in my quest, and seeing it in the framework of this larger world because your quest has such like political ramifications, understanding the world like enriched how I felt about the quest, even if the game itself didn't actually call on any of that stuff to reinforce your decisions in like a actual concrete way. The fact that like I made choices based on the things I knew about the world increased my enjoyment of the game. Uh, I actually think it would be lesser if it did bring them all in a concrete way. Well, sure. And that's one of the things they talk about all of them. One of the problems with a lot of lore is where the lore becomes, like, formalistically required by the game. Mm-hmm. This is... Yeah. You played through Alan Wake for a Let's Play. And <laughs> yeah, I did. The fact that the lore is collectible and also, like, half of it is locked behind playing on the hardest difficulty mode is ludicrous. Like, it's one of the game... Like, forget the fact that the combat is boring. The fact that some of those manuscript pages are locked behind playing on Nightmare Mode is actually the worst part about that game. It's a game about the relationship between this meta text and the text in the game. How do you not pick up all of them? Yeah, but, like, you missed a couple just because they're often really out of the way. And some of them are just locked. Like, you just can't get them. Mm-hmm. And why Why would you do that? Like, this is the shining thing that your game is good at. I don't I don't know. Alan Wake has a lot of questions like that. But We will never but get to the bottom of But that's a game that, like, Wake. explicitly demands that you do the lore. Or if you find a game, like, even when it's not collectible lore, like a game that just unloads a bunch of uh, 
what do I want? Proper nouns. That's the word I'm looking for. A bunch of proper nouns at you and then gives you like things to do based on them. Like you need to collect five of the proper noun to go save the world from the proper noun because they're going to attack proper noun. Like that's not a good way to front load your game's motivations, Mm -hmm. but like games do that all the time. Yeah. And it's terrible. Like the fact that we as gamers are trained to respond to the Zelda red text is because of this problem. Mm-hmm. Where it's not. Oh, uh, what's relevant? It it reduces law to an uh, like a glorified instruction book. Yeah, it's like oh, this person's going to give you twelve minutes of exposition, but actually, what you need to know is that you're going to the cave up north to kill the monster that's there. And it totally comes out of like trying to help you and like let you know what's relevant. Sure, but, but the re- the idea that. It, like the idea that the peripheral bits are not relevant because they are on the peripheral is what make, like brings the whole thing down. Because then either they bring what should be peripheral elements into the center and it all becomes way too overclogged, or they just don't have anything on the peripheral and everything feels bare. And then you get Final Fantasy Thirteen. But or then you also have games where, like, the very idea that you have to load a bunch of story into, hey, go to the cave and kill the monster is ridiculous if someone is playing your game they're willing to go to a cave and kill a monster you don't need to give them a thousand (laughs) reasons to do it if that's what your game's about like you don't need to contextualize it any more than that it's dangerous to go alone take this or even you know like bloodborne dark souls like in the conversation like that whole game is about going into scary places because they are there and walking through fog doors because they're there and fighting monsters because they're there like, this giant gross thing with a huge health bar exists, so I must kill it, because that's what this game is about, clearly. Yeah. And you don't need to... Like, that game loads all of its lore into item descriptions. Like, it's just in the flavor text. Like, the games don't have actual stories past a couple cutscenes, because it knows that the only thing you're going to do is explore all the spaces and kill all the things, and then the game will be over. And if you want mm-hmm. to go for, like, what the is actually going on in the world, it's there, but it never demands that you engage with it and it never like re- like reveals itself as the reason that it's there yeah it's this really smart separation of in- like how you engage with the story like it doesn't make engaging with the things you do as engaging with the story it treats them as separate things to do and i don't want to presume intent of developers but i wonder sometimes how much of this is like people get into games making wanting to create these narrative like they want to tell stories like everyone jokes that kojima secretly wants to make movies but i think a lot of game developers secretly want to make narrative frameworks and find themselves working on games that just aren't that i mean yeah that's video games yeah i mean i'm all i'm all for narrative games we mostly have discussed narrative games in this podcast we we love them they're good. They're the ones with the, we tend to play them. I play them way more than just systems games. But realistically, like even a narrative game can be broken down into a systems game that just has a bunch mm-hmm. of justification on top. Yeah. And the worst games lean into that. Like something like Dishonored is a game where we like a lot of our friction fell in because its lore often overpowers its justification. If it was just the blobs explore the space and then you find new blobs, it'll be way cooler than Panic at the Disco shows up and tells you to go kill Hugo Weaving with a bunch of other people in the way and then the yeah, whale. But then or... also, like, the part where that game uses lore well is, like, you live in a space where 
the amount of chaos that you do reinforces the systems of the world where like there's more plague victims if yeah. you kill more people or the girl will like trust you less if you act more violently like on some level the simple feedback of does this child trust and invest in you as her father figure or not is all the justification lore wise you need for a game like that exactly all the rest is just cruff mm-hmm and sometimes it's good cruff, like, oh, I want to know who these people are that I'm breaking in and do, like, I want to know why I'm breaking into this prison to get this person. What's the reason for all of this? And, like, on some level, I want to know that. On another level, it gets really dicey when it's like, oh, I'm breaking into this party so I can lead this woman to a guy who wants to, like, kidnap her and then take her away because he's obsessed with her. Like, uh, that's, that's the good option, right? Yeah, that's, that's the good <laughs> yeah. guy option. The bad guy option <laughs> yeah. is just murdering her. Just giving her to her, like, stalker. That's that's what good people do. <laughs> that's true. And that's just hey, one game. The game isn't the game isn't called Honored. <laughs> that's true. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's just one example of many. Like, you brought up 13. That's a game that all of its proper nouns at the beginning of that game are shuffled off to a codex that it expects you to read if you want to understand what's going on. I could write a book about how 13th is bad at law, but I don't have to because it's so obvious what it does wrong. And it goes and eventually explains all of that, but it, it expects the in media res to carry way more than the actual game can like hold up. Well, the worst part is that 13th's law is actually really good and the world it creates is this really intricate. I don't know thing. if it's really good, uh, but it's good for a game of its type. How about that? Okay has the potential to be yeah. really good and it sets up a framework of something that could be incredibly interesting uh, with it, like it, the world of Final Fantasy 13 is essentially this thematic exploration of how people like how status quos and consensuses are formed and maintained yeah. it's an interesting like riff on uh, sevens which is way more just yo capitalism mm-hmm. uh, it's also but- explicitly like them leaning into the hey we're this is a JRPG, you're going to kill God narrative. Which Fully. most Final Fantasies actually aren't about, but this one explicitly <laughs> is. You have to kill the gods who want to kill the gods so they can kill God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's so clear that they came up with that, and then they were like, well, fuck, I guess we have to make a game at some point. Yeah. And they did. And like The tales of Final Fantasy XIII's development are well told at this point. But the fact that, yeah, the first maybe five hours of that game, you're like, what's a fallacy? What's a see? What are the relationship between those two? Unless you go and dig into some menus, is, like, the, the, the weight that it puts on a player to care because you bought the $60 product and obviously you need to, you should bring your own investment. Why would you make anything like that? I don't, I don't know. Like that's, that's actually unapproachable on a level that like, so like people talk about like games that are hard or games with weird tutorials or whatever. That is the actual unapproachability of a game. Mm -hmm. Is saying, Hey, you bought this game. You care about the world. You figure out how you're going to be invested in this. We can't be bothered to make it. Lo- like understandable to a new person man the final fantasy 13's opening really angers you it's great it does it's terrible 
<laughs> it's so bad. But my favorite thing about it is that they do explain it, but in such half-assed ways. And to only... like, they trickle out those explanations to other characters who should probably already know a lot of that stuff. Well, yeah, like Zaz will go, oh, well, for see, Felsi, bring the sea. And you're like, I, no, I, you're explaining it, but to someone who already knows half of it. And I'm and so confused. six hours into the game where it does me no good because I either looked it up or I stopped carrying. Oh... <laughs> uh... Yeah. And the worst part is the opening of that game is just like a riff on the opening of Final Fantasy VII, which is a game that has a great in-media res opening, but then quickly stops for a couple hours to give you the world. It's 15 minutes long. Yeah, it's 15 minutes long, and then you go back to the hideout, and you have the scene with uh, uh, young Cloud and young Tifa, and suddenly you actually understand that Cloud is a person who wants things. Yeah. If... After 20 minutes, you had already flashed back to Sarah and Lightning and Snow, and you understood the whole deal. You'd care a lot more. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Laura's exhausting. But then, like, I don't know. It's it's strange because it, it really is game-dependent. Like, a game like Fallout, I, I enjoy rummaging through computers and reading emails from, like, hundreds of years ago before the bombs went off. Well, I, I think it comes down to, like, thematically what the game's about. Sure. Like, because, like, while I'll do that in Fallout, where I'll read all the computers and enjoy the world, a game like Skyrim, I'm like, oh, book, did it give me a skill? Nope. Well, then it goes in a trash pile. Like, I don't even pick up books that aren't books that give me skills. Because why bother? I'm not in there for the lore. Skyrim isn't, like, I don't consider Skyrim a, a game about its story. No, in but the there's a ton of Fallout. lore and there's people who, like, invest in it, but... It's so not a, like the flavor of that world doesn't. It just it just feels. Hey, you know fantasy. We got fantasy. Go. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fallout is so much more uh, attached to these details and this like. Oh, it was the 1950s, but now it's not, and everything like nukes blew up and everything's weird. And the the world and the state of the world is so much more integral to the entire experience of Fallout. It doesn't it just rely on generic tropes and give you a cool world to play. But in. it's interesting to me that Skyrim doesn't break that way, and Dragon Age does. Like, I wonder what that says about those games as a construction. It's the thing I've been thinking about for literally years on and off. Dra- Dragon Age is a game about your character. Skyrim is not a game about your character. Like, Dragon Age places you within the world, gives you a context for where where you are and who you are in that world, and the entire opening, like, ten hours are the way in which your character relates to other characters in status, and it gives you a reason to care about every moving piece of this world. Uh, I mean, I haven't played Dragon Age that much, but I know that's how it's set up. No, you're right, because... And and even as that game goes along, you just get deeper and deeper entrenched in the politics of this world. So having context is important. Something like uh, Skyrim is, hey, you are basically the agent of change slash chaos in this world. Go get a quest and then follow the marker to your goal and then go back to the person who gave you that quest. It's like MMO construction. And MMOs are yeah. built on the Zelda red text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, the, like, the world of Skyrim is interesting because look at this valley, look at these clouds. Mm-hmm. There's a dragon in over there, go run to it. Whereas the world of Dragon Age is interesting because of who characters are and how they relate to each other and the politics of everything that's going on. Like, Dragon Age 1 cares about its politics in a way, not even, they, they didn't even bother doing that with Mass Effect. No, not at all. Because Mass Effect tries, bless it, to care about its politics. It tries so no, hard. No, it, it gives up very quickly. Don't, don't <laughs> pretend that Mass Effect is something greater than it is. It's not. It's ah. Uh, look, I just want... 
Why would you make a game in which all the central government of everything does is go, well, I don't think this is a problem. Ah. <laughs> uh, just get... Just... Well, it's a game about its galaxy. Why would you just make the central agent of, like, controlling the galaxy just something to justify your cool quest? I don't understand. We want to empower players, Jackson. I'm going to play through Mass Effect again one day and I'm going to be so sad. Yeah. I'm going to play through I'm going to play through all three. I'll get the arc all over again. Yep. It's good for about two 5 hours, hours yeah, and then it's, <laughs> yeah. it's garbage for the next 3 games. Mm, there'll, there'll be the scene where Shepard uh, Ashley and Kaiden walk to the like lookout over the citadel on the wards, and they go, "Man, look at this place. Did you go here before? Yeah, it was cool." And they just chat, and then you go kill a, a bunch of I don't know ancient gods, I guess. Oh, like, yep, yeah. Remember yeah. that where that game ends, where you can talk the villain into giving up his quest because clearly he's on the wrong side and he'll kill himself, but then you have to fight him anyway because it's a video game and you need a final boss. Oh, I hate that so much. I hate that. So- Why? It gives you it gives you the planescape ending, and then refuses to let you live with that and have it. it just, why? Why wouldn't you commit? To, like, I don't understand who that's for. Like, who? What player goes? Yes, I want to convince the guy to do the thing. Oh, shame there wasn't a boss fight though. Who thinks like that? I. Focus testers, marketers, probably. I don't know. Not human beings. And they they deliberately changed that in 2 and 3 because the choices are like separate to the boss fights, but they're still massive boss fights. No, you got to fight that giant Terminator. <laughs> it's a giant Terminator baby. <laughs> it's a giant Terminator baby powered by people. Yep. Mass Effect 2 is a stupid game. Like, it has moments where it's cool, but that game is dumb. <sighs> it's a giant Terminator baby powered by people on Earth. Yeah. Oh, uh, and one day, maybe now that there's no computer, maybe I'm just going to load up the PS3 and cry. Don't do it. Don't do it, <laughs> Not yet. I've, I've still got... I've got 13.2 to play. That's a game with all the lore you can skip. <laughs> It's because that's a game entirely about like, hey, here's the world at this point. Here's the world at this point. Yep. And like it, it's for a game that was so like a sequel to a game that was so disconnected from the world that it portrayed. Mm-hmm. Thirteen Two is hyper about your relationship with the world around you. Yeah. For sure. It's just we're gonna bumble into a new adventure this time, and it's gonna take us about an hour, and then we're gonna bumble out. Yep. It is exactly what you told me it was. Yes. Anime Doctor Who. The idea of, (laughs) like, structuring an RPG around a TV show is actually a brilliant idea, I think. Yeah, really. Those, like, small story arcs work really well. Like, oh, here's a guest character. They have a thing. They solved it. Oh, it's a poignant or happy scene. Dragon Quest does this also in a much more, like, traditional framework, but... Well, yeah, that's that's a very Bioware thing. No, Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest. Oh, Phoenix. sorry. Dragon, Dragon Quest. Quest. Dragon Age. Oh, ooh, I thought we were talking about Dragon Age again. No, but... but like Dragon Quest structure is 
like there's an overarching story, but like the actual thing you're going to is every town has like a self-contained story where you roll into town. Where's the problem? You find the problem. You maybe meet a new party member or you make some friends. You solve the problem, which involves a dungeon and a boss probably. And then you roll out of town. Avatar the Last Airbender. Yeah. 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 And that's how, that's how you give someone just enough framework to justify like the gamey things, which is go to a dungeon, fight a boss without overloading them with like a bunch of things that they won't care about. I wish more games would structure themselves, like, big games would structure themselves episodically, even... Like, they don't have to be released that way, but games are fucking long. If you give me an hour and a half chunk with its own contained story, and then I'll be back next week might with I rec- the next Might chunk. I recommend Battlefield Hardline? Bye! Okay, I put my headphones back on, I'm back. But, I mean, that's a game in which they literally give you the Netflix... The next episode will start in 13 seconds between missions, which is yeah, the like, maybe the worst way of episodically structuring your video games. It's like, oh, look at this cute little joke. Yep. Oh, it's the Alan Wake does this, but Alan Wake's episodes are actually too long to truly be. Yep. Like, but the actual part where they're like the cliffhangers of the endings and the songs they use and the next time on Alan Wake's and everything, that stuff really is on good. point. It's really good. The the thing that shows that they know what they're fucking doing with that in Alan Wake is the end of the second is at the end of the penultimate episode because you'd expect like a lesser genre like pastiche game would go for the biggest cliffhanger mm-hmm. but no it just goes for this really calm it's time to end this ending and I was like the, these guys know what they're doing this game should have been so much better yeah it's the most like modern drama and like. We everyone knows the season finale is next episode, and they're just gonna give you the realization that it's there and not build anything up. Nope, there's no like shocking thing. And then also the most modern drama thing is the finale begins with a massive flashback. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Which I feel is everything does that these days. No, you're not wrong. We had a cliffhanger, but then the the resolution of the cliff. That's also Final Fantasy VIII does that, yep. <laughs> doesn't it? Like, does that. Uh, yeah, though that's at the just in the you know disc break. That's all. Sure, but I, I like I, that. I like that they give you the cliffhanger and then throw you so hard with that. They do, but because I'm me, like I said, I was just like, oh, this is also anime Doctor Who, because <laughs> I associate jarring cliffhanger breaks with modern Doctor Who. Hmm. Only you would do that, I think. I know. Free me <laughs> from this hell. <laughs> it's a bad way to be. I don't like who I am. But, so I'm thinking, thinking about lore. Like, I think of all of the hours I've put into Monster Hunter, which is a game devoid of lore. And you could see a version of that, and it undoubtedly be a Western version that just has reams and reams of information about the world. We're like, wouldn't wouldn't you really like to play a bad Western monster hunter? Oh no, it'd be awful. Why would I ever do that? <laughs> wouldn't you want to know? So you'd probably move three times faster. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, you the it would all be a contiguous area. They wouldn't do zones. <laughs> No, no. The idea of zones is like it actually works really well in Monster Hunter because it's this perfect abstraction. It would be awful if that game was like a huge unbroken space. 
But no, but that's that's what they do. They'd be like, yeah. "Why is there zones? Why is this not a massive world?" And because that would be too big. Every area would have like a theme and an end boss and characters <laughs> with motivations. <laughs> You'd have a party. Yep. You'd have uh, more formalized quests, probably. Uh, you'd have competitive multiplayer. <laughs> Your hunters, what if you hunt each other in our arena mode? <laughs> that was too good, Ubisoft PR person there. <laughs> you making some side money. No, I wish. God. <laughs> you, I, I would accept money to go host do a spot on a press conference you kidding me if you just pull out from the caravan and it's a world full of caravans (laughs) i could that's just hey hot timely references to the tom cruise movie oblivion (laughs) (sighs) we didn't make one data and lore joke in this entire segment I was waiting for a chance to say all good things, but that's all I had. That's not even... not even in that. No, that's not even a good joke. <laughs> no, that's, that's why I didn't. Okay. I have restraint. Sometimes. Lore is a weird thing. There, It'll continue to be rife in our games, even though it probably shouldn't. Is yeah. unfortunate truth of everything. I don't know. I, I just I just want it to be done well more. Yeah. In all things. Th- like, there's so much... There's bad lore in, like, films and TV as well. This sure. Just the actual problem is problem. mixing up lore and story. Yeah. The actual problem is the uh, misunderstanding of what storytelling is. Mm-hmm. Lore is I not received... your story. Lore is your flavor. It's like set design. Lore is set design. I received many, many lectures in my diploma. I guess that's what it was now. About the importance of creating a multimedia universe if you're going to pitch something. Oh, tie in comic books? Tie in comic books? Tie in apps? Nobody ever in the entire history of human beings wants a tie in comic book. <laughs> Have I read a tie in comic book? I've read like, I've done it, comic books, but nobody, nobody's, nobody's excited about it. Like, if you're into hey, a movie when... and they announce a comic book, <laughs> nobody cares. Uh, when I because I hate myself, watched someone breaking down the Hotline Miami 2 story, and, like, earnestly, they they cared. I just wanted to know, but, uh They were fully into the Hotline Miami tie-in comic book. There's a tie-in comic book for Hotline Miami? There's a tie-in comic book for Hotline Miami, yeah. God. How? That game is the most bereft of... Well, Hotline, Hotline Miami 2. Okay. Because Hotline Miami I'm... would... Like, I could see a beautiful piece of art, like, sequential art being made for that, but I wouldn't call it, like, a tie-in comic story. Oh, it's black and white! <laughs> really? It's, it doesn't even have the neon colors or aesthetic that you would associate from anything to do with Hotline Miami. Pencil ass drawings. Like I said, I could see a really cool Hotline Miami comic, like a graphic novel that is just the most florid, ode-to-violence, like, disturbing thing. And it'd yeah, be pretty it was, cool. Oh. Like it'd be, it'd be, you know, probably a little shallow with its statement, just like Hotline Miami. But it'd probably be really pretty. So here, this is gonna uh, um, be bad for what it reveals about me. But the band Coheed and Cambria has a bunch of tie-in comics to their fucking story, and one of them, like the one they released for one of the albums, was just that. It was just the most abstract. They paid paid this painter to do it, and you had no idea what was going on. It was just these beautiful, fucked up drawings. 
everyone was angry. That sounds amazing, though. It was. It's the best. The best thing, probably better than the music that that band's done. It was just it was just the like, weird hellscapes and this like demon bicycle just tormenting this man but it didn't look like that because it would look terrible if they actually drew it properly but now everyone was annoyed and they're going to do it again with proper law the uh it probably belongs in a different discussion than the lore discussion but this relentless like obsession with narrative as the way in which art needs to be presented is really unfortunate and i i agree i I kind of blame movies. It's totally movies. It's it's not even actually. I don't blame movies. I blame no because like what movies? Because you could do abstract movies. Yeah, I know, but when you look them. at movies, like how many abstract movies have you seen in your life? How many get made? Like I've maybe seen like two dozen in my entire life that are movies that mm-hmm. are like bereft of narrative. And I don't just mean just like surrealist narrative films. I'm talking like actually abstract movies. They exist, they get made sometimes, but most people don't make them, even though the medium of film is totally, like, it is well-equipped to present things without context and form and just give you images to let you figure it out. Well, yeah, even though people watch a thousand music videos. Yeah. Like, that, they exist, and people are fine with those, but on an actual, like, people expect film films to be narrative and understand what's going on and have characters and stories and everything. And games suffer the same fate. Like, the idea that you can't just have images and actions juxtaposed against each other mm-hmm. and make a narrative like you're not even make an experience out of that like an emotion and a feeling yeah what i'm saying is warrior is the greatest video game ever made <laughs> i mean you've told me this many times <laughs> that's fair you're not wrong warrior and drum mania <laughs> no i don't like drum mania that much who, who what that was earlier Oh, Taiko Drum Master. Taiko no Tetsu. Taiko Drum Master. Sorry. I have a PSP version of that game from Japan that I imported. It's my only Japanese PSP game. Fucking course you do. Why wouldn't you have a PSP version of that from Japan? Yeah, I'm a ridiculous human. I know. <laughs> it's a good game. Don't hate. I'm not going to hate. Okay. Zero hating from me. segment four jackson we have a question but before that we have an email address we do so if you want to email us a question you can do that by sending an email to podcast at abnormalmapping.com look at that we're like a real website almost we're close enough yeah we're there we go we We don't have a facebook page and we're never going to so i guess we're never going if that's what you need to be a real website we're never gonna be a real website then I don't want to be a real website. Jackson, who gave us a question and what is it? I actually don't know. Question from Rhea Dauhauser. Dauhauer, no S. Dauhauer, shit. I was like, I don't know. People say it all the time like they know, and I don't know. <sighs> Shaking my head. Anyway. 
Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you and Matt to do the Morning Retro series? She's referring to Morning Mario, which is now concluded for the moment, and Vania Mania, which I just started. This was your idea, wasn't it? It was a combination of both our ideas. I, think, was, I may have. I think you who, said I, I, I want to play Mario, and I was like, "This is the format in which you should do it." Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, I, yeah, because it came out of me saying, "I want to go back and play Mario. I want to fill this gap in my history." And I could do that, I guess. I could spend a few hours doing that. But you're like, no, you should play it every day. You should play it every day. One video a day. One life a day. Uh, one set of continues. No, I think, I think you said I should do a Mario video every day. And I was like, I gave you the formal, you do it until you die. Yeah. Yes, that was it. Oh, okay. This is the best content. Remembering things that happened a few months That's ago. That's alright. It was the question. It was the question, that's true. And so but, you decided to do Mario because, what, you wanted to fill in the gaps, right? Yeah, fill in the gaps. Mario games are kind of important. A little, yeah. Not Mario 2 Japan, sorry Finchikins, but fuck that game forever. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the people who actually believed I was ever going to subject myself to that. <laughs> that game is bullshit, no one should ever play it. Did you not see how angry I was getting at the end of World 8? No, I'm, I know enough about self-care to know that I'm not, that's don't, I'm never going to play Bloopers in the sky, that. sands water, fuck that game. <laughs> Bloopers in the sky. Yep. The Shigeru Miyamoto story. So then what? So then what? So you decided to do it? You're... Yeah, I did it. You have nothing else to say other than that? It's been a really cool experience. I've enjoyed them a lot this filling in my history and also the weird ritualistic elements of it which go against my personality in ways that are probably good for me yep i remember in week I two will... where i was like this is gonna break you down but it's probably good no it was week one it was like episode five okay it happened fast little did we know we had weeks and weeks left <laughs> no at the time it was like ah, probably halfway through i was beating a world every day at that point yep i did die on the first goomba though yeah <laughs> yeah. You didn't die on the first Vania. So Vania Mania is weird for me because once Jackson started doing this and it got popular, I kind of just wanted to also ran. My problem is I've actually played a lot of the really important games from that era. And Sonic. Okay, yeah, Sonic's like technically on the agenda maybe. The problem is it won't be fun cuz I actually really hate the Sonic. I played no. all 3 of those original Sonic games. I hate them all. Um, Sonic's only funny because I'm doing Mario, you're doing Sonic. That is the end of the joke. The part where you have to record a Sonic video every day um, is where it falls down. But uh, I've beaten all the Marios. I've beaten all the Mega Mans. Uh, I've done, Ooh, look at you! I've done Kirby and Zelda, and like those wouldn't be... They aren't structured to the point where that'd be interesting anyway. I thought about doing the original Ninja Gaiden trilogy, but... Uh, Eventually just settled on Castlevania because I love Castlevania as, like, a series, but I have almost no experience with the, with when Castlevania was an action series and not, uh, exploration RPG kind of series. Like, mm-hmm. that's a gay, that's a, that's a franchise that has become a separate thing at a, at a point. And so I don't really have that prior knowledge. And while I know a lot about Castlevania's one through four, I've only played a little bit of one and four. And this was a good excuse to actually sit down and beat them because I'd never do that otherwise. Yeah. I'm enjoying them. I hope people like them. It's it's very different from yours. 
I guess. Way more chill. I mean, I don't know. I'm average. After that first video is like 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, this is. It's going to be a disaster. It's not going to be fun. And then the next video, I literally made it a screen further than I did last time. And I, was I made like, no welcome. actual progress. I start start back right from where I started before. But yep. And I was like, hey, welcome. Yep. Welcome to the deal. But that's it. I mean, I uh, I still maybe intend to do those other ones later. I mean, this is a series that we might just do for a long time. I mean, there'll be breaks. Yep. There'll probably be breaks where we don't do any of these morning videos. Because producing a video every day, uh, and I talk about this on the video that goes up in the 13th, but producing videos is hard. It is. And doing a video every day is, is a, even a short video is like a demanding thing. Like, it's oh. just a thing that you have to hold in your life as a thing you do. It's, yeah, it's really weird how this, a, a sensibly small thing becomes like, oh, I gotta do this now. Mm-hmm. Um... And I enjoyed it, but I'm glad I'm having the break, and I'll be back as soon as my computer's back. It, it went so 2018. Look forward to Morning Mario 2. I'll have beaten every video game by then. <laughs> oh, the one thing I did want to state is when we were floating ideas for what I was going to do, nev- I didn't want to do like a modern massacre game. Like I didn't want to do no, Volgar the Viking the or anything like that. Yeah, the, the old games are hard enough. I don't need to make it like play a game that is artificially hard. Old games are hard in this really honest way, and playing them in this like there is a historical context to coming to terms with these archaic and by modern standards abusive design decisions that is completely lost within modern mascot game. We are just doing it to be angry. Yeah, or you know, games for people who like game they just like hard games. Yeah, like those people exist. I'm not really one of them, even though I'll, I'll play a hard game and enjoy it if it's the right game. But I don't look for games because they're hard. Nope. So that does it. Um, so what's next month? We don't know yet. We'll announce it. Uh, you know, given everything, I don't know when we're going to announce what the next month is game's going to be. We're kind of waiting on uh, computer issues. Okay, so we all right. I didn't know because I didn't know if you we okay. Oh, we'll talk about this. So off mic. no, but we'll. I will say that we are going to have a guest, but because we no longer have access to PC games as like a viable option, we probably won't be doing guests because most of the guests will be picking games that were on PC. Well, we we know what the game after the guest is, so. Um. And I don't know thing. The things will be a little shaken up. Maybe you we won't know yet. Uh, we will hopefully announce it soon, but I don't actually if, have a timetable for that. Matt, if Lack's not going to be on, we know what, what the game is. Do we? Yeah. What? I'm just... Matt, can we play Ninja Gaiden? Oh, you just want me to suffer, don't you? Yeah! Yeah, I do! We don't... Okay, this isn't a formal announcement. We'll have to talk about this off mic and cut a bunch of this, because we need to actually talk about how long we have to do things. Yep. Uh, so... I don't know what the next game couple game is. We'll be back next week with Final Fantasy VIII. And maybe we'll know by then. Maybe. Don't hold us to that. But until then, Jackson, where can people find you? You can find me at HeadfulsOff on Twitter. And I have, I guess, a website at HeadfulsOff.com that links to everything I do. You also have another podcast. Yeah, but it's on that website. Well, why don't you plug the podcast? It's a good podcast. I was, it was, I was, oh. (laughs) Sometimes I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's trash pick ratio at trashpickratio.com with uh, this arsehole here and uh, Destiny Sedevant and Kyle Turner. We talk about movies. We had a great episode that's coming out or has been released this Ides. Look forward to it. And um, you can find me at LitRock, L-A-T-R-O-C-K. Uh, you can find all of us at Abnormal Mapping, abnormalmapping.com. Uh, hey, if you listen to this podcast, give us a review. Get, like you know rate us five stars nothing less than five stars if if you want to give us four stars rate us five stars and then send us a strongly worded email about what we need to fix i will listen you could send that at podcast at abnormalmapping.com but rate us five stars for love of god uh and we will appreciate it we'll read your review on the air probably so don't swear or say anything gross uh and because <laughs> we because we never do either of those two things i'm just saying it's Reviews are public. I won't. I look. We're done. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Okay.